Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 22 this morning. I'm going to start with verse 22. Acts chapter 22, verse 22. We're going to read all the way through chapter 23, verse 11. So let's stand together as you find your place there. Acts 22, starting with verse 22. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. When they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? When the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for you, Lord. Thank you for being truth and faithful. Thank you for being strength. And thank you for being gracious and giving us your son, Jesus. Thank you for being merciful that you would, through Christ, overlook sins but we know Lord you punished those sins on your son and so we are grateful and we're amazed and even as we 
saying those words, we stand in awe of you, Lord. We stand in awe of you. Pray that you would speak this morning and use your word to open our hearts, convict of sin, Lord. God, change us. And if there are any of us here who are apathetic and bearing the name of Christian and yet not following Jesus Christ, Lord, would you convict and and awaken hearts that we would truly follow you, Jesus. No matter what that means, no matter what it costs, that we would follow you. We pray for that. Lord, I pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. We'll start off uh, chapter 22. Um, very beginning of, of the verse there on, on verse 22, it says, Up to this word they listened to him. Now the word that it's talking about, Paul has just given his uh, kind of defense in front of them. And the last thing he says is, um, quoting Jesus, it says that Jesus said to him in verse 21, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Well, this is not good news uh, to those he's talking to. Because um, in their thinking and in their mind, no good Jewish person, let alone God, would say, go to the Gentiles. Uh, that, was, that was just not even thinkable. And so for Paul to stand before them and say that God actually told him to go and take this message of hope and salvation to the Gentile people was just too much. And then they erupt. And up to that point, they're listening. Remember last uh, or two weeks ago when we talked through uh, the passage we were talking about how when, when Paul began to give his defense, it just became very quiet, very, uh, there was a hush that came over the, 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 the crowd. And so uh, that stayed that way until he gets to this point right here. And it says that once he says this, they're done and, and, uh, and it erupts and, and, and they, they show their signs of outrage and disgust there um, in, in the end of verse 22 and into 23. They, they, they yell out away with such a fellow from the earth. Uh, he shouldn't even be allowed to live. For saying such a thing, for thinking such a thing, he shouldn't even be allowed to live. And, and it says they tear off their cloaks, they're throwing their cloaks, they're flinging dust into the air. These are all signs of, of, of rage and disgust and all these. They're shouting. Uh, and it gets so bad that the tribune, the Roman uh, guard, orders uh, that Paul is brought into the barracks. That's what it's saying in verse 24. The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging so that they can find out what in the world is going on why do all these jewish leaders want to kill this guy and what's going on what did he say what's what's the truth in this and so they want to examine paul by flogging now if you're not familiar if you don't know what flogging is that's what happened to christ uh it was a way that they would punish and and examine uh prisoners to find out um information from them and, and if you don't know the details behind that they would take uh, a piece of wood and off of that wood uh, that was the handle and there would be whips that came off of that and attached to the whips would be sharp pieces of bone and metal and then they would strip down the prisoner fasten him to something and then whip him and it would literally tear the flesh just right off of the person it was a horrible horrible thing and so uh, imagine standing there as paul right paul's been through a lot right uh, he's been stoned. They left him for dead. He's been uh, persecuted in, in, in many, many ways. And now he's standing before these people and they say to him or, or they say, uh, examine him by flogging. Well, this would probably have been the worst thing that he would go through. Um, most people didn't even live 
through flogging. Christ did, um, but it wasn't that common to survive it. I mean, imagine what that would do to your body and, and the torment that you would go through in, in a process like that. And so um, they t- tell him to take uh, Paul away and examine him. Let's find out what's going on by flogging. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that he would have received the same amount as, as, uh, as Christ, which was this, a severe, severe flogging. Uh, and yet that was what uh, was, was, was commanded here. And so um, in verse 25, it says, But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Um, I don't know how else to read that, right? Like, how do you read that in an angry way? Um, I just, I, in my mind, it's hard to, to, to picture, um, but Paul in his grace, right? And certainly he gets fired up sometimes, but, um, his response is like, here he is ready to get hurt. Um, and it's like, Hey, is this, are you allowed to do this? Like, (laughs) is this against the law? And, uh, and it wasn't, it, I mean, it was against the law. It was not lawful for them to do that because he's a Roman citizen. And, and Roman citizens were exempt from this kind of torture. They weren't allowed to be brutally tortured like this. It was for non-Roman people. Romans knew that this was so bad, they, they wouldn't do it to Roman citizens. And so um, Paul speaks up wisely i think i mean uh it's a good comment right hey um i was wondering is this allowed are you allowed to do this well as soon as he says this right um everything changes and and he says is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a roman citizen and uncondemned both of those were illegal right um you you couldn't flog uh or you couldn't bind a, a roman uh if he was not condemned you couldn't even bind him you couldn't Uh, chain him unless there were actual charges against that person and so uh, both of those things he brings up when the centurion centurion is a roman soldier who's over a hundred other soldiers okay when the centurion heard this he went to the tribune who's over him and said to him what are you about to do for this man is a roman citizen so the tribune comes right he's probably a little discouraged right now and uh he says tell me are you a roman citizen Paul responds, he says, yes. Um, and the tribune answers, he says, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And we don't know the details behind that. It wasn't a common thing, uh, but somehow he has purchased, uh, bribed or something his way into being a Roman citizen. He's purchased this citizenship. And so he says, you know, I spent a lot of money to get my citizenship. How are you a citizen? And Paul responds, hey, I'm, I'm a citizen by birth. I'm literally a Roman citizen. Um, to which, uh, verse uh, 29, it says, So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. Um, as soon as they heard that he was a true-born Roman citizen, uh, man, they were out of there. Why? Because uh, this tribune who purchased his uh, citizenship could have lost his citizenship if he had gone through with this. I mean, this would have been a huge huge deal and so these guys they're gone and we don't want to be a part of this we're not going to do this this is against the law and this will come down on us big time you have to understand they were pretty serious about roman uh, authority remember uh we've seen in the past where where if if a prisoner even escaped um the the guards were held accountable and they were killed for that um and so it's a it's a big deal here and 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 so they didn't want to break the law and 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 so they 
they bail. Uh, and the tribune was also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen, and he abound him, which is illegal. So it goes on, and it says, uh, on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused, the tribune, unbinds, uh, the tribune unbinds him and commands that the chief priest and all the council meet together. And that's the Jewish Sanhedrin. That's the leaders. That's the council, the chief priests, okay? Um, and so he calls them all together, and he wants to find out what is really going on here with Paul. What's What's happening? Why is all this commotion and why is all this stirred up and why are they trying to kill him and why is all this happening, right? Uh, what's, what's going on? And now he's a Roman citizen and so what's happening that, that they would even want to kill Paul? And so he calls the Sanhedrin together uh, and, and, and understand that while this is happening, we find out later on the Roman soldiers are there, right? This is not an official uh, Sanhedrin council um, meeting where he's being charged and, and tried. This is not a trial. This is just the Romans kind of calling them uh, the Jewish leaders together so that they can be there and they can rescue Paul if it needs to happen. And they're just kind of listening and finding out what really is going on here. Okay. So it says in, in uh, beginning in chapter 23 and looking intently at the council. So, so Paul is there and the Sanhedrin's there and they're all gathered together. And Paul looks at them and he says, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. It's interesting that Paul calls them brothers, right? Most of the time they'd be called rulers or rulers and brothers or something like that because there's an authority um, there. Um, but Paul's different because he probably knew most of these people uh, and probably was with them, probably was associated with them uh, quite a bit when he was killing Christians and persecuting Christians and all of those things. And so literally knows a lot of these people and refers to them as brothers. But he says to them in that statement, this is huge, guys. Um, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Now, they've seen, okay? Uh, they've seen him live. They've seen how his purpose has been to please God. They've seen, even when, they, when he was with them, his, his desire was to please God. His, his aim was to honor God, even though he was way off base and, and, and what he was living was not truth. His aim was God. And he had a zeal for God and, and he wanted to please God. But he stands before them and he says, listen, up to this moment, right now, this day, I've lived my life in good conscience. Now that's a that's a, a, an offensive statement to the, the Sanhedrin, right? Because it's putting them on defense. Because if that's true, then they're wrong, right? If, if it's true that he's lived up to this point in good conscience, then God told him to go to the Gentiles. And so they are wrong. And so it immediately puts them on defense. But it's a true statement uh, because he has. Does that mean that Paul hasn't sinned? No. But his purpose, his desire, his cause has been God and to serve God and to please God and to live for God in all things. And, and I want to be careful with that statement because uh, the idea of having a clear conscience doesn't justify anything. OK, um, let me let me read this to you real quick uh, from John MacArthur. He says, conscience is the faculty that passes moral judgment on a person's actions. We probably know that, right? But it does so based only on the highest standards of morality and conduct perceived by that individual. We've seen this in Paul's life, right? Paul had a clear conscience when he killed Stephen. Okay? 
So a clear conscience, don't look at this and say, well, I have a clear conscience. I must be a pretty good person. Well, look, look at your standards for morality first, okay? If your standards are biblical standards for morality, then, then maybe uh, you won't have a clear conscience about some of the things that you're choosing to do in your life. Paul's standard of morality, Paul's standard of, of integrity, Paul's standards uh, are based on the truth of Scripture at this point. Paul's standards of morality are based on Christ himself. And so he can say, I have lived my life in good conscience up to this day. And we can say, oh, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, because his standards are extremely high standards. His standards are Christ. And so um, just because we can say, man, I have a clear conscience, doesn't mean that what we're doing is moral and right. Right? Right? Uh, because we may have convinced ourselves it's okay to look at that stuff. It's okay to do this. Hey, everybody does this. Everybody does this. It's okay for me to live this way because I'm just a human. Well, guess what? God says it's not. And so um, if we look biblically at what a right standard of morality is, then we're going to look higher at how we live and whether or not we have a good conscience in that. So Paul can rightfully say, I've lived to this point, to this day, with a clear conscience. Well, they love that. Um, and uh, they're not offended at all. The high priest, Ananias, commanded those, as soon as he says it, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Now, that's not a, um, just like a slap. That's the same uh, word that's used when they beat Christ or when they beat the apostles. So this is probably like a full punch across the mouth, all right? Um, and the high priest commands someone to do that, and he does it. Um, and Paul responds, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Uh, are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order uh, me to be struck? That, that phrase, whitewashed wall, um, it's a picture that, that we're given from the Old Testament. of uh, It's kind of that idea where Jesus said of the Pharisees, how they wash the outside of the cup, but the inside is filthy. Uh, who's going to drink from that cup? Who's going to use that cup? It may look clean on the outside, but you look inside, and it's filth. Uh, it's that same picture. It's just this whitewashed wall that's been cleaned on the outside, but it's still disgusting, okay? Uh, and it's just uh, this picture of, of accusing them of saying, you're, you're trying to look holy. You're trying to look good. You're trying to look like a person of integrity or, or holiness or whatever on the outside, but on the inside, you're really not. You're just washing the outside of the cup. Um, and, and so he accuses them. Now, real quick, I don't want to like spend a long time on this, um, but this is not the way that Christ responded when he was persecuted, is it? I mean, it's important to look at that, right? I mean, uh, because Christ, when he was persecuted, he was silent, it tells us. Um, when, when, uh, when he was struck, uh, he said in response, talking, uh, if I have sinned, show me my sin, but if not, why did you strike me? There's a big difference, right? There's not this lashing out. There's not this response that way. And, and so um, there are some that look at this and think, man, you know, he's not being like Christ here. He's not being uh, what we're called to be in this circumstance. And certainly, you know, Christ said himself, if you're struck on one side, even by your enemy, if he struck, strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other cheek. Is that what Paul did? No, he didn't. Nope, that's it. OK, uh, he's not Christ. And, and 
And Paul confesses in Romans 7 that he struggles with the flesh as well, and he sins as well. And this is one of those circumstances, and we're going to find out in the next verses, right? He acknowledges that. Uh, he acknowledges that he sins in this process. And so um, he, he responds to him, are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Now understand, Paul's passion is that phrase right there. Uh, not so much that he's struck, but the offense to the law by the, the one who rules uh, and is supposed to keep the law and, and, and blatantly disregards the law to do what he did, okay? And so Paul's, Paul's concern is more with the law of God rather than being hit. Um, and we've seen that not just here, but with his whole um, life. Verse 4, those who stood by uh, said, probably shocked, would you revile God's high priest? Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. First of all, Paul says, um, I didn't even know this guy was the high priest. I didn't know, um, which is very possible. Paul hasn't been back to Jerusalem for a while. It's been years since he's been back to Jerusalem. He's just now back. This is not a formal uh, meeting with the Sanhedrin, so the high priest wouldn't have been sitting in his place. Paul probably had never seen him before. This is a new high priest since the time that Paul was there. Annas was the high priest when Paul was last there. This is Ananias, okay? And so um, this is a new high priest. And so he probably had not seen his face before, although he probably knew um, his name or knew who it was. He just didn't recognize that this was. And this is probably just a gathering of the council, right? And so had the high priest been sitting in his position, certainly Paul would have responded differently uh, and confesses that. Quotes from Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight where he says, um, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Let me, let me say, and this is not kind of part of the sermon, but I feel like um, I need to say this. Um, that's a command that he's trying to obey. You shall not speak uh, evil of a ruler of your people. You have to understand, Ananias was a, a horrible ruler, um, even as a part of the Sanhedrin. He was evil. Uh, you look back in history, uh, there's a guy named Josephus who, who keeps, um, is, is used um, from the time of, of this, okay, and, 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 and has written out historically Jewish uh, history for us, okay, uh, and so he's a, he's a great resource to go to, uh, a non-biblical resource to go to for church period history, um, but he gives an account of, of, um, of his life and his leadership. He was evil and this kind of thing of having people struck and hit was that was him i mean he was brutal as a high priest which is not what high priests are called to uh, he was an evil 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 guy who was in the position of high priest all right and yet paul says of him um, you shall not speak evil of your ruler uh, guys just a comment about the church today in america probably needs to pay attention to this um this is not a part of my sermon today but man we are known for that if our candidate doesn't get it uh get elected man we we start putting new bumper stickers on our cars we put all the, i may not agree okay um i'm not gonna I, i'm not gonna tell you okay uh, i may not have voted for obama okay uh, but by scripture I'm commanded to become a supporter of him the day that he's elected. 
That, that, now listen, don't hear me wrong. It doesn't mean that I agree with the decisions he makes. It doesn't mean that I don't, don't you know, certainly doesn't mean that I don't pray for him over and over and over and over and over and over and beg God to change his heart and ask God to convict him of sin and, and ask God to lead him in the right way. We're commanded to do that. But we're also commanded in Scripture to keep our mouths quiet when it comes to ridiculing our leaders. And there are things that I didn't like about George Bush, and there are things that I don't like about Obama, okay? Guess what? They're humans. They're humans. But the command from Scripture is to not walk around and go around and just blatantly disregard our leaders. Daniel 4 tells us the most high God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to whoever he chooses. That's what it says. Daniel 4, it says it four times in the passage. The Most High God is sovereign. That means he's absolutely in control of the kingdoms of men, all men on earth. And he gives them to whoever he chooses. And then he says in the same scriptures, don't speak evil about a ruler who's been put over you. Why? Because God placed him there and God's going to put him there for a purpose. We may not understand the purpose and we don't have to understand the purpose. So we pray and 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 we pray. But we can't be people who are going around bashing other people, especially people that God says, I put him or her there. I placed them there. So whatever country you're from, whether it's a king or a queen or a president or an emperor or whatever it is, don't speak evil about them. Don't do that. Pray for them and, 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 and beg God to do what only he can do in a ruler's heart. He placed them there. I know that is tough. It's tough for me. It's tough for me. But as I read this passage, I was convicted by that. Because I'm so loose with my mouth sometimes. And, and whoever it is, if I disagree with them or if they disagree with me, I just want to, hey, this is this, is this, 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 and this. They're human and they need prayed for just like I do. And God tells us to, to, to not speak evil about them, but pray for them. And read through the rest of the New Testament. There's New Testament commands that say the same. First uh, Peter, honor the emperor. That's president for us, okay? Honor them. Submit to them. Um, and honor them with your words. Why? Because God placed them there. We may not agree. God has put kings and, and, and rulers around the world for the course of history that, that are evil. He put a, a high priest in the Sanhedrin who was evil to the core. Why? Because God's ways are not our ways and his his they're far above ours and and we don't understand them and we can't comprehend them. But he has these ways that that surpass our permission because he's great and we can trust his word that says in Psalm 119 verse 68. He's good and what he does is good. That's a total side sermon. OK. All right. Where am I at? All right, here we go. Um, oh, boy, verse 6. Okay, here we go. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. But the Sadducees say that, 
For the Sadducees say that there's no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? Uh, And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. I love this section, okay? Uh, Just complete wisdom on the part and and, uh, fun on the part of Paul. Um, Because Paul knows the beliefs that are in this room, right? You got the Sadducees who, who... don't believe that there's any resurrection. They they held strictly to the Pentateuch, and that was it. That was the only uh, authority authorized scripture. Uh, the the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Okay, so you got Genesis through Deuteronomy there, and and uh, that's that's what they held to. They held to that strictly. But they said that in that there's no teaching of an afterlife. There's no angel. There's no spirit. There's no resurrection. And so this is it. We live for God here, and this is it. And that's what they held to. Uh, the Pharisees were completely different. They aligned actually more uh, with the Christian faith. They were close to Christian, okay? Uh, they just didn't believe in Jesus. And so uh, they believed in all of that. They believed in the afterlife. They believed in the spirit. They believed in angels. They believed in all of that. And so Paul, knowing that, says, um, let, me, let me read it to quote it. Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Well, this just, like lights it right i mean you got the sadducees saying oh no there is no resurrection of the dead there is none of this and the pharisees are like oh yeah we like that like we okay we're listening now and so they erupt into this like argument right and they're fighting and and the sadducees saying no there's no resurrection and pharisees saying resurrection and it's just back and forth, and it's just all this. And it gets so good, right? It gets so good that the Pharisees actually start defending Paul. These are the people that were just saying, he needs to die. He needs to be killed. He, how could he say such a thing? And then it, Paul gets them all riled up and against each other, and they're like, hey, maybe this guy's right. Maybe an angel spoke through him or a spirit, right? Just to go against the Sadducees again, who don't believe in the angels or spirits. And so... It's just this beautiful scene, right, where there are all these people who know so much, like they've studied the scriptures, they've memorized the scriptures, they know the Old Testament, or at least for most of them, or for half of them, the Pentateuch, right, the first five books of the Bible, they've memorized these books, and they know these books, they know the scriptures, and here's what it leads to, fighting, arguing, debating, uh, I'm right, no, I'm right, no, I'm right, no, I'm right, and you got Paul in the middle, right, and he's living for Jesus, I'm just going to follow Christ. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to follow Christ. And you got all this arguing around him about the Bible. Um, And there's Paul just living it out, living it out, living it out. Guys, that's just a beautiful picture to me. Uh, Because this is what it should look like, what Paul's doing. Uh, And yet the church so often looks like the people on the sides. In fact, this is what I want to do, okay? I'm going to do something totally different this morning. I'm going to split you guys up, all right? Uh, Kind of uh, war ball. We're going to do war ball, all right? Everybody stand up. We're not really, Okay. Pharisees versus Sadducees, all right? If you're on this side of the room, just go against the wall over there, all right? Just go, get up. It's totally biblical. You're allowed to move. You're allowed to walk. Totally fine. And this guy, you guys go over here, all right? We'll evaluate in a second. Travis, you stay right here. Come up here with me, all right, Travis? You're closest. You're closest, all right? No one's going to be embarrassed. You're not going to be embarrassed, I promise, okay? Okay, so let me look around here. Let's evaluate. Examine what we got going on here. Okay. You guys are obviously Pharisees, right? Okay, 
Obviously. Obviously Pharisees. We've got Pharisees over here, Sadducees over here, right? No resurrection. Thank you very much. Good job. See? You see, guys? You guys thought I didn't like drama. Look at that. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, so you got the Pharisees, all right? And you got the Sadducees. Here's the point I want to make, all right? You got this huge fight that's going on, just debating and like, oh, we believe this from Scripture. No, we believe this from Scripture. We believe this from Scripture. We believe this. In the midst of it, it's this guy who's willing to die. In fact, they're trying to tear him apart. And the reason they're trying to tear him apart is because he's actually following Jesus. In the midst of all this knowledge, in the midst of all this knowing, in the midst of all this, we're ready to debate, we're ready to fight about it, we're ready to know, this guy's ready to die for Christ. So I'm going to have Travis come right out here, okay? They're going to rip you apart in a second, all right? Is that okay? I picked the tough guy to do it. No, I'm teasing. All right? And here's what happens. Like, you've got Travis here, okay? And you've got the Pharisees and you've got the Sadducees. Guys, I don't want you to separate yourselves from this passage and think this is so much different than the church today. Because what I feel like happens, and I was thinking through this, praying through this passage, what I feel like happens is we got all these people on these two sides, right? We got sides over here, we got sides over here. If we really want to be accurate, we could make like 1,500, right, different sides and, and, and do that. And we got all these different things and we memorize stuff and we, we learn these answers and we, and we'll study, we'll go to books, we'll look at books and we'll just, oh, we just want to feed ourselves with so much stuff. Why? Our only reason is so that something when it's brought up, we can just boom. I know more than you know. I can answer that better than you can. And I'm going to shut you down and I'm going to tell you how it is. And I'm going to argue with you about this and I'm going to do this. And all the while in the midst of the church, you'll find this person who's not arguing with anybody. He's not fighting with anybody. He's not. He's just living for Christ. He's just doing what Christ called him to do. And here's the point. I'm not saying that we're not called to know things. I'm not saying, obviously, you know my heart. I love the Bible. I love it. I mean, uh, the, yesterday was my grandmother's funeral. I will, honestly, I'm going to tell you something, honestly, from my heart, what I came away from. All right? There are two things that I am absolutely confident of in this world. God's love and his word. I'm, that, I trust those more than anything in this life. More than anything, I trust those. I'm not telling you, man, don't study. I'm not telling you not to, to know things. I tell you that a lot, right? I tell you, you need to be in the word. You need to be reading. You need to be putting it in your heart. You need to be putting it in your head. When it goes in your head, it needs to transition into your heart. You need to do those things. But I don't think the Bible's just calling you to that. The Bible's calling you to love Jesus so much that you get into the word so you know how to follow him better. So that you're this guy. So you're the Paul, you're the Travis who's standing in the midst of all these people who just know a bunch of stupid facts that they've memorized, right? Uh, They're stupid facts if they're not applied. Uh, Paul tells us in, in, in 1 Corinthians 8, uh, I think it's verse 4, he says, um, there's a knowledge. So, you know, all of us, uh, what, what's his words there? Um, right. uh, there, there is no God. Here it is. It's right here. There it is. It's actually verse 1. Um, we know that, All of us possess knowledge, okay? 
he's, he's talking to the Corinthians. Now, they, they had this knowledge, right, that they thought they were at this point. They had this knowledge, and he's confronting that here. And he says uh, in quotations, he's quoting their saying, all right? All of us possess knowledge. Then he comments, this quote-unquote knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Guys, our desire for God's word has to first come from a desire for God. Not to puff ourselves up, not to just be able to answer stuff, not just to be able to debate, not just to be able to argue, not just to be able to say or pass a written exam. There's no, no written exam when we get to before Christ. It's do I love Jesus? Am I re- willing to stand in the midst of all of these other people, even the church, and say, kill me if you have to kill me. I'm following Christ and I love him so much I'll get into his word and I'll find out what he wants me to do if he wants me to 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 live a certain way I'll live a certain way if he wants me to give everything away I'll give it all away if he wants me to be persecuted I'll be persecuted because I treasure Christ I don't treasure myself anymore I want Christ I want to live for Christ I want to give for Christ I want to do all things for him and for his glory and so I'm going to get into his word I'm going to get into his word I get into his word I'm not trying to pass an exam I'm trying to live for Jesus. And that's what we see with Paul. Go ahead and get back to your seats. That's what we see with Paul, guys. You look at this picture, right? You look at, you look at Travis, right? And it looks like, man, this guy's lonely out there, right? But that's not the way it should be, right? That should be the church. The church of Christ should be this big, massive group in the middle. And the church should feel awkward if we're the ones on the sides and we're just learning and studying all this stuff. We should feel totally out of place in the body of Christ. And that's our desire. I mean, honestly, with the life groups and with the things that we desire for our church and and to have this community where people genuinely love each other. And that love is 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 coming from a love for God. It's it's fed from a love for God. That's the only way that's possible. You look at what real love is in first Corinthians 13, which is what he's calling us to do to each other. Impossible. You read through that. We, we refer to that as the, the, the marriage passage. It's not the wedding passage. It's the church passage. It's what we're supposed to be as followers of Christ. That's how we're supposed to love each other as followers of Christ. That's the point of the passage. You look at that. It's impossible without Christ, without a love for God, feeding that love for other people. And that's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. And so if we're living for Christ, it's not going to just be a Travis in the middle who everyone's looking at and thinking, what's, what's up with a weirdo? Uh, and we're saying the same things that the Pharisees say. Uh, away with such a fellow from the church. For he shouldn't even be allowed to live. He shouldn't even be allowed to be among us. He, he makes us feel bad. He's, he, he never answers the questions right. He never, he never like, he didn't memorize these, these four laws or, or this road or, or this or this or this. He's just always doing this stuff for Jesus. And like, he should, it shouldn't be that way. It should be, man, we're just all living and loving God so much. We love God so much that we love his word and we're getting into it. We're putting it in our head. We're putting it into our heart so that we can live it out more and more and more and more and more. That's what we're called to, guys. That's what we're called to. Sometimes I feel like if Paul came to our church or any church, not any church, that's that's not fair. Most churches in the United States, I feel like if Paul came in, man, I would dress him up, right? We'll put some like jeans and like a polo shirt on him like 
Make him look really cool, right? No, I'm teasing. Um, dress him up, like make him look like, you know, he fits in as far as, you know, fix his hair, you know, whatever. I don't think he would fit in. I don't think we would let him fit in. I think we'd be so offended by this guy. I think we'd be so put off by this guy because he would make us feel bad. And we don't like to spend time with people that make us feel bad. And his standards would be higher than ours. And he'd pull us aside and say, maybe you shouldn't watch that. Maybe you shouldn't, maybe you shouldn't have gone to that. I, mean, I heard you boasting about going to see that or or I heard you boasting about that joke. I heard you boasting about what you did at work. I heard you boasting about the things that you're carrying on. And maybe you shouldn't do that. And you make us feel bad. And I don't, I don't think we would want him around too much. That shouldn't be the case. I mean, we should, man, we should be Paul. We should live like that. We should be able to say, according to biblical standards, I've lived my life to this day with a clear conscience. God is my witness. I've lived for him and for his glory. I've lived to build the church and not my kingdom. I live for him. I don't care what comes. I don't care what happens. I'm this guy right here. You guys can can do that. I hope you come and join me, but I'm going to be this guy right here in the middle. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to love God. I'm going to love his word. I'm going to love people. And I'm going to live for Christ. It changes things. When you're guy, the guy in the middle, it changes the, your perspective at work. It changes your perspective and how you, you live at home and how you live at, at the office and how you live in your neighborhood. It, it changes your perspective on the things that you consider holy and how you treat integrity and purity in your own life. It changes those things. When we let those things be more like the world, we're out there we just know stuff we're not living for christ we let those things get into our life and impurity and 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 a lack of holiness and just a life that doesn't look like scripture guys it's it's a cute picture but you're out there if that's how our life is is characterized we're not in the middle we're not following christ we're not living by the holy spirit and with Christ living in us and through us. We're not doing that. Why? Because he changes us. He convicts us of that stuff. He rids us of that stuff. I read 1 John this last week and just sat down. I'm just like, that's scripture. That's the Bible. Read through it this week. And it's just like, and then be okay with, try to be okay, I should say. Try to be okay with with just worldly stuff. It's impossible. It's impossible. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and kindness, Lord. We, we genuinely, I, I believe this. I believe this for so many of these people. We want you to be Lord of our life. We know when we are playing the game. We know when we are on the sides. We know when we've just learned stuff and we're throwing it out so that we are the whitewashed wall. We are the cup that's only been cleaned on the outside. We know that. And we're tired of it so often. And we, we do want to change, God, but we cannot do it ourselves. And we need you. We need your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I pray for that. I pray for that. 
pray that your spirit would fill us and fill this place, Lord. That you would show us that the fruit of your spirit is not worldliness, it's godliness. And if we will submit, if we'll walk by your spirit, then we will live lives where we can say like Paul, our cause, our purpose is you, Jesus. We have a clear conscience built on biblical standards, not on our own, not on the world's, on biblical standards. God, help us to walk in the middle Even as part of the church, help us to be living a life that is completely a pleasure for you to see. I pray that you would convict of sin. I pray that you would bring true repentance today, Lord. And if there's anyone who knows, who knows that they're walking or standing on the sides, Lord, that you would bring true repentance today, that they would get with someone and pray to you, Lord, and have accountability in their life and, and surrender completely, Lord, laying everything, everything before you, giving you everything, Lord, and then going, living for you, like Christ, like Paul. Praise you, God, because you're faithful, you're strong, you are able. Your word says that you are able to keep us from falling and to present us to your glorious presence without spot or blemish. We can't do that, God. You can. You're faithful. And we need your faithfulness, God, to pick us up and to push us, move us in the right direction, and to walk with us and even carry us at times so that we might build your church and glorify your name and please you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.